Coming up next is Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair with Jerry Pives. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Who has influenced you the most? How has your background contributed to who you are today? And how do you deal with stress and trauma? Immersing myself in nature is probably my first go-to. Sometimes with just a kind word, just a, hey, it's okay. Join registered psychotherapist and author, Jerry Pives, as he invites New Zealanders from all walks of life into the psychotherapist chair. Check out reality with others, but also check out reality with yourself. Listen in as they open up about their lives, their family's history, and what drives them. I had already kind of been through a massive trauma, so I already felt kind of strong and equipped at the beginning to deal with something that was out of my control. Prepare to be entranced as Kiwis open up about their heritage, their lives, and the understanding of their place in the universe. Frankly, I know very few people who are not struggling to some degree or other in these highly traumatic times that we're living through. Tune in to Real People with Jerry Pives, Tuesdays at 1pm, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Jerry Pives here, speaking to you from wonderful Wanaka. Today, we have another real treat for you. When I asked around locally, several people told me to invite a woman called Sue Hoskin to sit in my psychotherapist chair. They did this because she has been running a community project called The Food Forest, which anyone can join. Everybody has been saying just how great it is. Now be prepared, because during this session, Sue takes us on an amazing journey into food, biodynamics, and something I can't even pronounce, but it sounds something like philosophy. (laughs) On this journey, we're going to glimpse the deep spirituality that being on and with the land can offer us. It certainly inspired me. And after her session, I felt moved to teach one of the most useful tools I have come across that we can all use every day to help ourselves make the very most of each day. So do stay tuned when she finishes. So welcome, Sue. We're here to find out a few things. Uh, This whole series is about what makes us tick. Most importantly, what kind of gets us out of bed in the morning. We're very interested in what has meaning. And along the side of that, this series is about how do we deal with stress or upset or trauma? What's our strategies? How do we cope with stress and trauma? And those are the three main interests of this series. So yeah, welcome and thank you for coming on to the Psychotherapist Chair. Thank you. So, Sue, I heard about you. You're a local girl. You're actually you're a woman, I think I should say. Uh, I came across you and people suggested I talk to you because of your great work locally here in um, the Wanaka region on the food forest. And several people have have talked about this to me, and I don't know anything about growing food. I'm a a total ignoramus. I'm hoping to pick up some ideas here. I don't even know what kind of tree carrots grow on, so that probably gives you an idea of where my (laughs) level of ignorance is. (laughs) So let's start off, Sue, by you telling me a little bit about what is this food forest? Tell me a bit about what you get up to. Well, um, 
The Third Forest is a charitable trust that was developed and designed and set up in 2012. Uh, I wasn't part of that very first opening. It was actually a German guy, Andy Cambis, who set the whole thing up and uh, he was doing it as a project. Uh, the council gifted the land or, or have loaned the land to the community and really, yeah, it's a, a, a food forest is a series of plants um, that kind of replicate an ecosystem and it's a self-sustaining system that where you have uh, different levels of plants. So you've got ground covers and then smaller shrubs and then, you know, bigger bushes and then trees with a canopy. And so there's this series of layers um, which support each other. And uh, the idea is that it's um, a place where community can come together to grow and to learn uh, knowledge sharing. But essentially, it's about food resilience. So it's about having food in our local area that's obviously much healthier for our bodies and then bringing the community together to actually build that forest of food. And, yeah, I think, you know, it's the um, the aims are to, to offer free organic food to our community, but um, a lot of it is about resilience of place and, you know, eating locally and seasonally. Um, we rely on working bees to sort of get the work done, and so we're always hopeful that community will come together and it's starting to take shape. Um, it seems to go in ebbs and flows, you know, with energy, but yeah, the more it's developed, more more people are, are becoming aware of, of the importance of having having that sort of organisation happening, you know, within our local area. Wow. And is this the only one or are there other such communities or projects in New Zealand or anywhere else in the world? Oh, yeah, there's plenty all, all around the world and certainly becoming more and more in New Zealand, uh, certainly in Christchurch after the earthquake. Uh, you know, you saw sort of groups come together and start developing food forests and community gardens as a way of resilience from from the disaster. But really, um, it's sort of working towards a future, uh, not future disasters necessarily, but an insurance for our health and knowledge and, you know, bringing people together is, is really an important part of that whole setup here. Wow, that is so... I'm gobsmacked, actually, because I did not realise what a big thing it was. And is there anywhere else in New Zealand other than in Christchurch where these are going on? Yeah, I'd say most regions actually have some sort of community garden or, or food forest happening, not necessarily the food forest. I know there's one down in Riverton. Um, there's one up in Golden Bay. But, yeah, certainly there's more groups of community gardens set up all over the country. And I love I love the idea of, you know, that you're kind of building a whole ecosystem. You're not just necessarily, you know, farming one crop in one field and another crop in another field, that you're somehow integrating that. Is That sounds to be like a really important part of what this is about. Yeah, well, that diversity actually builds the strength. And, you know, I, could, I quite kind of like to use it as an analogy for the strength of the community as well, where you've got different levels of knowledge or skills um, or energy levels. And so, you know, from the school children planting and their bright energy, you know, and the teenagers' innovative ideas and their sort of artistic contributions. And then the adults, you know, have got some of the tools and the knowledge. And then our elders can, you know, also have lots of knowledge and can bake and 
have morning teas, you know. So it really does involve bringing everyone together. And that diversity of strength is what creates a, a healthy eating system as well because, you know, it's a reflection of uh, our well-being given back to the earth. So, What yeah. a wonderful concept. Um, tell me the name again of the person that started all this. Andy Cambis. How do you spell so that surname? Uh, C-A-M-B-E-I-S or I-E-S. Andy Cambis. Yeah. What a wonderful concept. And all that energy of the different groups within the community and their different energy levels being part of what's being grown here and how how growing happens uh, between humans and the land and the earth and, and this planet, this amazingly beautiful planet we live on. And would you say it's an abundant planet? Because I think it's a really abundant planet. What would you say? I think it has the potential to be abundant if um, if we just tap into what we need to do to make that happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's abundant in many ways, but food is a really important um, grounding that we need to have the the commitment and the the conscience to move forward and actually make those systems work. You know, yeah, there shouldn't be such such scarcity in food. And I'm really interested, Sue, in you use a word that's very popular and very current and, you know, a big fashionable word right now, which is resilience. And I'm thinking, are you just talking about food resilience or are you talking about uh, other types of resilience as well? Yeah, definitely a, a much bigger um, picture, that word. And, and I love it. You know, I know it's, you know, probably taken from your book as well. Um, the, the word resilience encompasses so many things. For me, um, you know, a lot of my work involve, is involved with um, biodynamics, which is a sort of spiritual or sacred agriculture um, based on Rudolf Steiner's philosophies. Um, and he suggested in, in 1924 that, you know, our food – um, the quality was of our food was diminishing to the point where our capacity to interact on a spiritual level, um, you know, to achieve what we're capable of as a species was diminishing as well. And so I think, you know, it's not just about sustenance of food. Um, that resilience is about uh, feeding our brains and evolving into the highest realm that we can in the future to change the world we live in for the betterment, you know. So, but, yeah, also the resilience of, of the health of our minds and our bodies and the health of the, the earth, of course, and, and all of the beings that live on it. So there's such an interconnectedness with resilience that if if there's one little thing broken, then, you know, it, it will affect everything else. So I think it's a, a huge word, mm, all-encompassing. I'm so excited that you brought in the name of Rudolf Steiner. Um, he is such a massive, massive influence. And um, what you're talking about, you know, interestingly, he was the guy as well that he predicted uh, exactly what's happened in the last few years, didn't he? Uh, Rudolf Steiner actually predicted, I believe it was in the 1920s, and he said something along the lines of, before long, we will see technological and pharmaceutical uh, forces create or uh, in some way instigate viruses and damaging biological substances that potentially could destroy the planet and the human race. Have I got that right? Is that your understanding of Steiner? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He 
he foresaw lots of what's happened, even the um, the collapse of beehives and things like that. So, yeah, he was an you know amazing scientific philosopher and genius, basically. And and it's been a hundred years since he. Uh, lectured on the agricultural course. I mean, he's done lots of other work with all kinds of um, healing and and philosophies. But for me, the agriculture course was um, 1924, and you know, it's almost a hundred years since since then. And it's maybe you know, it takes that long for something to actually <laughs> come into play. So Rudolf Steiner uh, is a massive figure. He is uh, an intellectual giant, not just in the field of agriculture, but in philosophy, spirituality, and indeed education. And I think it's really interesting, Sue, this to me seems to be the future. What you're describing, this living harmoniously with the earth and its cycles and the outdoors and our need, our basic human need for food, that seems to be our future because we've come such a long way, haven't we, from any connection with that. You know, I mean, I would think my grandson thinks that food grows in supermarkets. It's not quite true. He's actually smarter than that. And my joke about planting carrot trees is partly, you know, flippant, but it's also like if you haven't grown up with people that grow things, then you don't really know about the earth. It's the ability of the earth to support us and provide for us and for us to look after it that is at the very foundation of human existence, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Well, it is a living being and it has, you know, it's a reflection of our well-being. So it has a consciousness and it is an organism. And again, it's, you know, embodies so many aspects of um and not just the earth you know we've got to remember that there's other forces uh, that maybe we can't see but the heavens are, are a big part of it as well you know this, the planets and the, the rhythms of the sun and the moon you know we've got these amazing giant lanterns that <laughs> create forces that help us grow the food and help us grow uh, into yeah hopefully a more spiritual culture and haven't we traveled a long way from that well, I think we have become um, quite disjointed from it, possibly starting with the Industrial Revolution. You know, I seem to recall mum getting a microwave oven and, you know, buying mashed potatoes in plastic packets that were <laughs> dehydrated and some, somehow fluffed up into this magic food. And, um, yeah, it, and it all changed for me at that point, you know, when mum started going back to work and, yeah, the ease of life was supposed to be that you could have all these gadgets that would make life you know much faster and easier and uh, but then we also lost the connection with where food really came from and how to cook and how to eat together as a family and things like that so there was a massive disruption I think around that time. Yeah Sue I'm so respectful of what you do and how important what you do is Again, you know, you, you mentioned uh, we were talking about resilience and one of the areas of resilience that you haven't mentioned, of course, is, I mean, you have, but I want to kind of focus a little bit on is yeah, almost all of the psychological research is now showing us that one of the greatest ways to get out of depression or anxiety is to join together in groups and do a couple of things. A couple of things have really come up as effective for our mental health. 
one of them is singing in choirs, you know, to sing in a choir and literally be rubbing shoulders and giving voice together is a profoundly ancient and profoundly therapeutic activity. But, you know, pretty much a close second to that in the research is working the ground, working the earth, setting up gardens, growing things with other people, learning together. So I would imagine that someone like yourself is part of a, a movement that is doing so much good for people's mental health. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Um, gardening it is an interesting one because a lot of people see it as a hobby. <laughs> for me, it's a, um, a, you know, it's a life science, I suppose, but um, it, it, it more than just bringing people together, you know, it brings the four kingdoms of nature together. So the mineral, the plant, the animal and the human, and together they work as, as a oneness. And that's where the, the real sort of spirit comes into it because without, again, without, one or the other, the whole system breaks down. And, yeah, I mean, and treating animals with respect and not just animals. I mean, I'm talking about worms and biology and all of those microbes that you can't even see, but having an awareness of something that, you know, is, is also aiding bringing that carrot to your table. <laughs> um, it's not just the gardener and it's not just some mud. You know, there's a whole life system going on there that, that actually brings that nutritive value to, to your body. Well, uh, just listening to you, Sue, I, I'm already feeling like I'm living in a better world because I'm feeling like I'm much more integrated with everything that really exists rather than the things that we become obsessed with because of our business or our work or our problems. And just to kind of settle back and to almost fall back into the arms of a creation that we're part of is actually deeply soothing. And just the way you talk of that connection, I'm very envious of that, actually. And I, I'm going to sign up for your next working bee, just so you know. So there'll be at least one person who'll probably be standing in the corner, utterly useless, trying to find where the carrot trees are, talking about the great <laughs> philosophical wonder, but probably not doing much good. But I'm I'm open to learning, and I would love to learn more about that. <laughs> this is so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great well it it does take you know a lifetime to actually get to that um feeling of connectiveness i think and, and but you know anywhere is a good starting point <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've probably got a long way to go talking about carrot trees so we're this is a reality check radio and you're listening to jerry pives on his episode of real people in the psychotherapist chair and we're talking to Sue Hoskin down here in the Wanaka area. And uh, she's been talking about a really wonderful movement, a concept called the Food Forest, something which I think personally that we're going to be in great need of as we go forward in society. And Sue, I just want to ask you, you know, this is absolutely amazing. What on earth led you into this? What, how come you have ended up doing this food forest? Tell us a little bit, tell me a little bit about how you came to be here and interested in this stuff. Well, I guess that would go back to, I mean, I'm actually from England, from the UK. I grew up there in a village uh, in the 60s and my father and his father and my uncle and the whole family and the whole village had allotments there, you know, and that's what I've been brought up on allotments, which is a strip of land that you lease from the council uh, to grow your food. So whether that 
the green thumbness has come from there. I mean, I didn't always go in the direction of growing food, but certainly that was my initial um, introduction to food from the land and, you know, straight to the plate. And as a child, I probably remember more about, you know, um, having to peel the potatoes that had got worms in them or, you know, wash the mud off or pick the beans and pod the beans and do all the, you know, the processing of those vegetables, which now is done by machine for a lot of people. Um, But, yeah, having just, you know, that physical touch of vegetables and always growing up with Dad bringing home the food, Mum having to cook it and us having to process it and things, and there was never any waste you know it was like I've grown this and you will eat it (laughs) and so that you know the respect of the food that had been grown for us as well um and the joy of eating as a family you know together and and having that nourishment and then you know throughout my life I've kind of dabbled in growing food and stuff but then I had a life-changing moment when I went and worked on a vineyard in Cromwell actually which is also in Otago and at that time, I'd been working for Wanaka Wastebust as a as a worm farmer, so encouraging people to, you know, compost their kitchen and garden waste through worm castings. And um, and I became quite obsessed with worms at that point, <laughs> um, you know, because it was like I had a whole herd of worms doing the work for me, you know, breaking down all the food, bringing this beautiful, rich vermicast as a as a gardening medium, and. Um, yeah, a friend of mine had sort of said, oh, if you're interested in worms and composting, you should check out what we do at this vineyard where I work. So I went along and I just walked onto this piece of land and went, wow, something is happening here. You know, there's this energy force that I could feel was completely different to everywhere else I'd been. I had no idea what biodynamics was at that point, but it turned out it was um, a vineyard that was managing using the biodynamic principles. And, yeah, it was just astounding to see these, like, healthy animals and everything was upright and, you know, bright-coloured and just this energy about the place. And the people were really happy and everyone was really welcoming. And sure enough, I ended up working there and made this giant compost on a large scale. And then at the end of it all, these magical sort of potions were put into the into the heap, you know, to sort of create this connectivity with spirit and of matter and for me that was like a life-changing moment I thought wow I need to learn more about biodynamics so I went and did a course up in Hawke's Bay at um, a college there called Taruna um, which is the school of anthroposophical learning in, in New Zealand and um, so I did the course on biodynamics and yeah that just took me in a whole different direction for a life changing sort of yeah direction into understanding the earth and nature and wanting to grow food with the most vitality in it which was quite different to just organics so from then on you know I've I'd been working doing biodynamics for since 2003 or 4 and um, making hot compost and growing really good food and so I think I was actually invited to come to the food forest and add some of that to to what they were doing there so yeah I can't remember it was probably about six or seven years ago when I got involved with the food forest and we tried to um, bring in allotments which was my idea of course you know I said oh yeah you know if we had allotments you know we'd get much more people more people would come and then there'd be more people to do the working bees 
and help with the the food forest but you know it'll also be this place of learning and and bringing um more people onto the land and it worked um reasonably well for the first couple of years but to be honest it's it's a huge responsibility and you know for people to come and the um upkeep of a garden um that's not in your home is actually quite a foreign sort of concept for new zealanders especially so you know people are like why would you go there to grow your food when you've got your own garden but the idea is that you're going to a you know a specific place to to group together with others so that you can share the knowledge share the tools share the the food the produce and um so it didn't quite work out so now we've moved on to having sort of community gardens which is much more of a you know uh less responsibility but more community driven uh, so we're still developing the gardens but people who come in to do the working bees are now able to take the produce home and then any excess goes to the food larders which is also you know a, a free resource for our community for those that need it and or, or that you know would just like to to use that facility so that they can share their own produce there as well and that's been a really lovely way of growing the food forest itself yeah well uh now listen there's been some very long words and big words that i'm not sure i fully understand um i wondered could you explain a little bit what biodynamic means and what anthropo i'm not even sure i can say it anthropo anthroposoph you have another go at it Anthroposophical studies. Anthroposophical. <laughs> That's almost worse than marmalade, isn't it? Yeah. What is tell tell us a little bit about that? Because those sound like uh, really important ideas to what you do, and they sound like they're very specialist words. Um, yeah, so biodynamics um is basically the agricultural lectures that um, Rudolf Steiner gave in 1924 to uh, a group of European farmers who had already found that their soils and their animals were diminishing in health and vitality. So biodynamics really is um, a suggestion given by Rudolf Steiner, and it's a holistic, um, ecological, ethical, and social sort of approach to restorative farming. It's probably the oldest authentic regenerative system that there is, and it, it comes with a, a Demeter certification if, if you want to go that way, which is one of the highest standards of organic farming that there is. Um, and as we mentioned before, Rudolf Steiner was a philosopher, clairvoyant, a scholar, a scientist, of a natural scientist, and his lectures, a series of lectures to these farmers was actually called The Spiritual Foundations for the Renewal of Agriculture, which is quite a hefty sort of title, isn't it? The Spiritual Foundations for the Renewal of Agriculture. So it's not just about you know, what we can get from the land. It's about what we give to the land as well and uh, doing the inner work as well as the outer work. And it's a spiritual science, I suppose, and it's a life science. It's something, you know, I mean, I've been doing it for years, but I still always learn something new every time I put my hands in the earth or go out to harvest um, or look at the weather or any of those things that is involved with farming and the guardianship of the land, you know, rather than being a gardener, it's a, a guardian. And I think language is something that we need to actually look at when we, 
recognize what we're trying to do because you know relationships with the land you know you're it's an engagement you're engaged with the land you know that which is what we do in our relationships as humans and the you know the term land husbandry indicates you know that it's a relationship of marriage and for me that's a land wifery (laughs) Um, but you know in a relationship you know it's all about respect and care and giving and loving and so when we look at those words of wisdom that um, come from ancient culture of growing uh, there's the different sort of uh, aspect of belonging to the land which again I think we have you know we've been emancipated from it in in certain respects but um, and um, anthroposophy kind of looks at people and their habits and cultures and their interactions with the world and that can involve uh, you know anthroposophical studies um, will look at religion and spirit um, spiritual concepts uh, as well as you know the health of our bodies and our minds and education so yeah there's a whole bigger picture in anthroposophical networking that I think you know all stems from love and the heart and and this is probably where for me you know the the heightiness of biodynamics interests me more than just growing food without chemicals you know it's actually growing food with spirit and vitality and understanding that connection you know makes it a whole lot more fascinating because then you're working with you know the 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 stars and geology and so many other aspects it's not just oh you've got to go out and do the digging and the weeding you know it's, it's this whole opens up this whole network of diversity of connection and that's a key word isn't it really sue connection a feeling of connectedness not just within ourselves but with each other and with the land and with the whole of creation it's a far cry isn't it from what um you know i'm just thinking about steiner's approach and you said you said that this is like really almost the oldest form of farming and growing and yet i'm sure many people listening will be thinking oh this just sounds like another new age fad you know a bunch of hippies you know praying to the moon but it's not that is it it's something way way more ancient that humans on the land humans on this planet humans in the in the history of our amazing planet used to do this for by far the greatest amount of time that humans have been on this planet is that would that be right yeah i think so I think so too. And and again, that sort of went from people providing their own food to having to rely on manufacturers to make their food because life changed and we all got materialistic and wanted more money and bigger cars and we forgot how important food was. And, you know, I think that's okay that that's part of our evolution. We have to go there before we come back full circle to that understanding and the importance of, yeah, what we're actually providing ourselves with and how we treat the earth yeah beautiful so i'm really interested in in what you described as well obviously i would be wouldn't i in the you talked about the inner something about the inner work you know and i'm fascinated by language also and i'm fascinated at the close connection between guardian and gardening and somehow gardening is something you do to like an activity and it's devoid the word gardening is devoid of all the implications of guardianship 
you know, when we're a guardian of someone or something, we have a significant role to play. Somehow when you garden, you stick your foot on a shovel or spade and dig something up. And there's there's somehow, you know, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating this a little bit, but, you know, I just wonder whether the language of guardian got changed so that we lost that amazing sense of responsibility and connection and involvement with the land, that somehow gardening seems to be devoid of that in terms of the word guardianship. I wonder if you've got any thoughts around that. Well, this is me just getting really excited about words. Mm-hmm. Well, to start with, I have to say that that terminology actually came from a book that is called We Are the Ark. It's Mary Reynolds. It's a beautiful book. She points out the whole point of the guardianship rather than the gardener and makes you feel differently about how you actually treat the land. But yeah, stewardship even it doesn't sort of really do it for me either. So I, I love that guardianship of the, the land rather than gardening. And you're right, I think that it does, yeah, people often think of gardening as a chore, whereas guardianship is much more nurturing and nourishing and, and we've all got that in us. And to allow ourselves to do that actually brings such joy and peace within, our, you know, the inner work. So, you know, what you give, you you get and for me you know having my hands in the soil yeah it's like medicine really for my heart (laughs) but yeah gardening I think we need to look at it differently and you know the enjoyment that comes from it I, I think Aristotle sort of said that happiness is an activity and you know if you can put that into uh how much goodness you get from gardening you know it's almost a wage it's like for me, that's that's my job, you know, and um, there's a payment there, which is my happiness and my health. And so, you know, it's not always about monetary values. Yeah, I'm loving what you're saying, Sue, and it's really very profound. And it is so different from what is being touted around the place you know, I think I've said elsewhere that when I first came to New Zealand, well, second came to, I was born here, but I came back 58 years later, uh, waited a long time to come back. And I was really shocked to hear the conversations that were going on around me in the cafes. And this is all pre-COVID. And well, no, it wasn't pre-COVID, it was pre-lockdown. And I was shocked. I'm a bit of a nosy parker. Be careful if you see me in a cafe, because I'm I'm probably just listening in. I can't help it. I'm an <laughs> That's why I love working as a psychotherapist. I'm just fascinated by people. And I'm fascinated at the deep spirituality of what you're talking about, Sue, that this is not just a community activity. This is something very personal to you. Um, and I'm hearing that personal inner, inner connection that is really quite inspiring to hear. And what do you do when you talk about inner work? Sorry, I'd lost my train of thought. I was just shocked at how materialistic all the conversations I heard in the cafes were about bloody real estate. You know, it was like the whole of New Zealand had become obsessed with, you know, status of possession. And um, that wasn't how I regarded Kiwis at all. I, I'd always thought that Kiwis, you know, having you know, been a Kiwi and then getting kidnapped by my parents to the UK, this grey land of cold and cloud and really dull dull countryside by comparison to New Zealand anyway um you know after that kidnap and and being taken there you know I knew I was Kiwi somewhere but I didn't really know what that meant but 
I spoke differently. I was four, definitely spoke differently. I had to have elocution lessons to get the Kiwi. They tried to get the Kiwi out of me. <laughs> so I could speak proper, you know, and posh and all that stuff. But the whole um, going away from the culture meant that I looked at Kiwis and I heard about Kiwis and I read about Kiwis. And I was always so excited by the Kiwi culture because it seemed so down to earth. And, that, and there's that word again, the earth. Kiwi culture seemed to me, I don't know what you thought coming over from the UK. I know you're English, but, you know, something about just get on with it, sort it out, solve your problems, get on with it, re rely on your resources, be clever, do something that other people hadn't thought of. You know, there's something really creative and down to earth about the Kiwi spirit. So when I, when I landed and I got here, my son and my grandson live here and, and his partner, when I got here, I was really shocked because I heard this kind of, I, I was thought, I thought I'd landed in America, you know, with all its materialism <laughs> and all its obsession with things and as if anything can make people really happy, whereas it's people that make people happy and it's connections that make us happy. And I knew that much. I mean, you know, no one told me that, but I'd worked that one out. And it's really fascinating to me, the depth of spirituality that you're talking about. And I wondered if you would be willing to share a little bit about more about what you mean by this inner, this inner work. You've already said a bit about that, about the giving, about the the wage of the land, the feeling you get back from it. I, I wonder if you could say a bit more about that. I'm really interested. Well, I think yeah, the inner work for me is sort of researching a lot of other works that Rudolf Steiner has done, which is all about life after death and rebirth and looking at connections to the past and, well, cultivating much more of a meditative sort of thinking around the work you do on the land and with other people and with animals especially. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's about compassion, really. It's about thinking you know, this isn't just about what can I get from my garden and is it going to feed me and I, I'm hungry, I need food. You know, it's that where does this begin and where does it end, which there is no there is no beginning and no end. It's, it's a cycle. So um, those rhythms and rituals that come into play with the work that I do um, also come from inside of me as well as, you know, the earth. So difficult to explain really, but... Um, I suppose, yeah, the rhythms and rituals are, are the inner work, understanding, you know, that our nervous system is is part of our connection to this planet. And and so if you're doing the, the goodness on the outside, it will also benefit you on the inside. So uh, it makes it much more of a dance with life rather than this sort of hard work that we imagine gardening to be and I'm not I'm not taking away from the fact that it, you know there is some strenuous work needs to be done when you're making compost and but actually you know if, if you're working with nature rather than against it it feels much more harmonious flowing than fighting against it and getting your you know, digging the earth up like you're digging a grave there's no need for that you know you actually need to be gentle on the earth and it will be gentle back to you to your body um so so yeah the inner work is is sort of understanding nature and and respecting it and having compassion for it um along with what you're doing to get back the food for sustenance 
This seems so much more in line with some of the wisdom that has been retained in more ancient cultures, cultures that track back. I mean, we all, we all come from ancient cultures, but since the Industrial Revolution, many of us have lost our sense of our roots, our cultural roots, our family roots. Uh, it's remarkable how few people have any real historical connection uh, beyond the 19th century, which is the um, Industrial Revolution time. And of course, you know, with Industrial Revolution, we left the land. But there's been pressures to leave the land throughout history, uh, land clearances, you know. Um, there have been times when people have been forced off the land by conquest, by by war. The battle to retain our connection with the land is one of the themes of history. Another of my passions and my love is uh, I started life as a history teacher and I've always been fascinated by that historical roots. But this spirituality you're talking about goes back to cultures that have retained that connection with the land. I'm thinking here in New Zealand, we have the Maori culture with its relationship with the land. We, you know, in the, um, the, the Native American Indians, wherever there's been a retention of the wisdom of the indigenous culture, this is what they talk about. This is what they, their stories are about. This is what their, their spirituality is about. And it's, it's a very important and powerful part of what, what modern society has lost. I don't know if you, would agree with that, Sue, but that's what I'm hearing from you, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, when we look at um, most of our medicines are made from herbs and <laughs> minerals, um, but again, with that emancipation from nature to, you know, the people in the white coats know best and, you know, if it's not in a packet, then it probably doesn't work. Uh, you know, this kind of mindset that has changed, unfortunately, Um and again, biodynamics forces the farmer to go back into that. You know, we do harvest the flowers and for the essence and make certain preparations. It takes a lot of time and a lot of understanding and, you know, it's research. So it is a science, you know, don't just go into it and, and understand it's not a recipe and it's not a religion, but it's actually trains your mind into understanding that if you crush a, a crystal, for example, you know, there's an energy that is released. Well, most people wouldn't, you know, will look at a crystal and go, yeah, it's kind of pretty and, you know, maybe it's got some power, but, you know, you're actually forced to sort of understand each piece of the earth um, and what it does for the betterment of, of your of your life. And so, um, and I think that's what the older cultures did have when we think about um, energy fields and you know, sort of frequencies that probably some of the more ancient cultures had to aid them, build pyramids, for example, or, you know, walk up huge mountains. And uh, a lot of it is, has come from a, a different understanding of energetic fields and those influences of the health of plants and essences and things. So, yeah, um, it's not just about food. It's it's much more to do with medicines and um meditation work of connecting with with the bigger picture you're doing such a great job sue of explaining something that is not so easy to explain i uh, really appreciate your candor 
You're listening to Reality Check Radio. This is Jerry Pives. On this episode of Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair, we're talking to Sue Hoskin and we're delving into the magic, the spirituality, the depth, the the psychology almost of our connection with the earth and how important that is for us. And you know, I, I was thinking, Sue, that there's been a even in the rather, you know, one-dimensional scientific uh, community. Um, where they study things like molecules and chemicals and stuff like that, as if that can explain too much about anything, but they do it. They do their placebo double-blind studies. And there's been some, there's a lot of interest in something I'm doing at the moment, which is jumping into Lake Wanaka every day for a few minutes, doing cold immersion and feeling the benefits of that and the challenge of that. Um, And I've been listening to some research on that. And the research is really quite incredible because what they found is that people who go outside, the body gets challenged by all the different seasons and all the different temperatures and all the different weathers. And and the body gets exposed to change and to physiological change. And it's actually that ability to go from cold to hot and the changeability. If we try and if we try and live our life in a cozy kind of cardigan of deadly retirement, and we live in this cozy little house of universally same temperature. Um, what the research actually says is that it's the farmers, it's the people who go out, the people who are exposed. You know, you don't have to jump in a lake to do that. Um, but, you know, working the land, that the farmers have some of their greatest health and they have the healthiest nervous system of anybody. Yeah, so what you're saying is really backed up by some even one, well, I call it one-dimensional science because it misses out pretty much all the things that make us human, but it goes for things and chemicals and all of that stuff. But nonetheless, uh, even that stuff is showing what you're saying to be true, that we need this connection. We need to be in relationship with the land. Yeah, relationship and celebration. I mean, you know, ceremony and sort of seasonal celebrations is part of our culture. And again, you know, that's kind of the inner work and understanding that as humans, we have seasons of our lives, you know, that we go through that. Uh, the four seasons, if you like, um, whether you call it, you know, the growing stages and right up to the golden years. So, yeah, understanding that we need that uh, seasonal change as well, uh, as well as the weather patterns. And I think that's what I love about New Zealand is, is these very different seasons, you know, whereas some countries, uh, England, for example, seems to be like in grey autumn um <laughs> The whole year, most mostly, <laughs> you get this flash of boiling hot um, summer for two days or something. But uh, yeah, so and even being down in this area, you know, the majesty of the mountains, and uh, that's one of the things that gets me out of bed. You know, is, is just the beauty that surrounds us, and I think that's a, a huge important aspect of uh, happiness as well. You know, our environment brings us that joy. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've been realizing that as we're coming to the end of our time together today, I barely asked you what gets you out of bed in the morning, and uh, you've you've just you've just answered that to some extent, I think. Um, tell me how you deal with stress. How do you cope with stress, Sue? Um, well, a number of ways. Um, quite often just getting my hands in the soil um my allotment, about, <laughs> <laughs> my allotment is is a place of peace and beauty you know there's there's cows down there at the moment and the birds are there and quite often I'll see a heron go over or um you know there's rabbits and things so so 
immersing myself in nature is probably my first go-to. Um, I also love singing and dancing, um, doing art. You know, I love to get my paints out on, it, I think it depends what stress it is that's getting to me and what, how I, um, sort of deal with it. But I, I suppose, um, all manner of things. Yoga is really good for me, um, at times of stress. Um, but also, yeah, uh, socializing, you know, sometimes that can just be the thing that I need to get away from my trauma and, and actually just have fun and, and be with people that, um, you know, I feel embraced by. And that's, that's a really powerful, um, stress reliever for me. Um, and, and on other occasions, I, you know, prefer to be on my own and listen to music. Well, you've just given us a, a great list of some of the key things that we can do for ourselves to help ourselves through trauma or stress of any kind. Um, the last two or three years have been particularly stressful for Kiwis and the sort of division of lockdown and COVID and mandates and, you know, overwhelmingly uh, dictatorial government and people being pitted against each other. And I wonder... You know, of all the things that you mentioned, what would you say is your has been your greatest support during what I would consider to be, you know, some of the most traumatic years in our history? Um, what would you say went to the top of the pile for you in terms of helping you through these last few years? Um, I'd have to say the Voices for Freedom group, to be honest. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of, for me, there was grief of, you know, there was loss of freedom um loss of respect you know loss of voice and and loss of friendships actually and divide from family and friends um so to find my family and find my tribe with the voices for freedom group was especially helpful for me in that situation um and then sort of realizing that you know we have to be thankful for the challenges because otherwise we become complacent you know, having that strength of the social group, uh, the networking and um, all the beautiful people that I've met in that group have brought such a lot of new friendships and new realizations and lifted me from that sort of dark place that I felt I was in from the, yeah, the trauma of governmental stuff and the divide really. So that social networking has been amazing. So, Back to community, back to people being with people, back to what you have, you know, focused so much of your life on doing, Sue, which is bringing people together, connecting us with the land. I think, you know, when it comes to mental health, I think that's one of the most powerful things that people need. And I'll probably talk a bit more about that, about finding your community, about finding your tribe, about finding your your funnel. It's It's that kind of, you know that interconnectedness that modern society seems to almost have been trying to break up. It's almost as if there are forces at play trying to tear us away from what makes us really human and what being human really means and the glory of that from the physical to the energetic to the emotional to the mental to the spiritual and to the connection we can all have with this time of being, this this experience of life at this very moment. Well, Sue, it's been a real pleasure to 
open up and talk about this really important area. I really want to say a big, big thank you for being in the psychotherapist chair. I feel like in many ways we've been in the Rudolf Steiner chair and the the anthroposophical. I've even learned how to say it now, anthroposophical. <laughs> there you go. There's a, there's a development. I've got something from today. I'll now be very proud to say that word, anthroposophical. <laughs> um, but you, you've introduced many, many listeners may already know about this area, and I'd certainly heard of it, but I had no idea of the depth at which it takes. And certainly... Would it be fair to say that, you know, what gives you meaning, what gets you out of bed in the morning and what really is your go-to support is this whole anthroposophical approach to life and to land and to community and to art? Would that be a fair summary of what gets you out of bed in the morning, Sue? Yeah, I think that does encompass everything. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a, a mindset and a way of life. So it's a great way of life for me. Definitely feels healthy. Well, Sue, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to say before we close? Anything that you would like to share that we haven't got to? Um, just to um, really thank you for giving me that opportunity to, you know, it's a bit like a biography, really, when you start talking about yourself and looking at what makes you tick. Um, but yeah, to be just to keep being grounded and yeah, rooted. For me, that's important for a lot of people to actually get your hands in the soil and see how you feel. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you roll on the floor laughing at my attempts to uh, join your group and to do anything with the land at all. So I'm sure that'll be a great entertainment for us to look forward to, Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone brings a different skill and I know that you'll have something that will benefit the land and the people. Well, if the trees could grow better by me talking to them, maybe that'll be my gift because I do feel that's something I'm quite happy to do. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure they would. (laughs) Well, um, thank you very much, Sue. And uh, this has been Reality Check Radio. Uh, Real People with me, Joe Pives, in the psychotherapist chair has been Sue Hoskin. And stay tuned because uh, after this, I'm going to do a little bit of reflection and share some of the psychological implications, models, uh, tools, tricks, tips, whatever that we can all use to help ourselves through the tougher times in life. And uh, Sue Hoskin, thank you so much for being in the psychotherapist chair. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Real People with Jerry Pives. Do you have a guest suggestion for Jerry? If you know someone who has an interesting life story, maybe that someone is you, then please get in touch. Jerry would love to get your feedback, so please send us a text on 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio to let us know your thoughts about his show. That's your message to 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio. Normal texting charges apply. So to help us transition to some thoughts about what we can learn about our mental health from this session, I asked Sue what one of her favourite pieces of music was. And not surprisingly, she chose one of the most beautiful pieces of music you could ever hope to hear. So please, sit with Sue and me all together as we listen to this beautiful meditative piece called Spell Songs, The Lost Words Blessing. Well, I wonder how you got on with that. What a fascinating discussion, exploration uh, that was with Sue. 
I certainly didn't expect to learn about Rudolf Steiner and his 1923 or 24 lectures on agriculture. I didn't expect us to delve into the world of biodynamic farming and biodynamic living and anthroposophy. What an interesting world. And I wonder if from all of that, you got a good idea of just what makes Sue tick. I think what we heard was Sue connecting you know, with the land being really important to her with her food forest project, but also going right back to her childhood of father and grandfather doing vegetables and allotments and that uh, very English tradition of growing vegetables and having your own land to work. Coming from, I think, the Second World War, that was a big move in the Second World War. I think we might be going back that way now, where we all need to take care of our own food supply because the powers that be and the the authorities that were charged and paid for looking after us have let us down and uh, we're finding that they're threatening our food supply, not helping it. So that's really important. But it was more than just growing vegetables and uh, having food to eat. It was a whole connection with the living force of creation itself. It was a profoundly powerful, uh, holistic view of living. And of course, it wasn't just connecting with some kind of whole universe and, and seeing the interconnectedness. But it was also really about connecting with community and with fellow human beings. And this connection is really, really important, especially when we're struggling. And frankly, I know very few people who are not struggling to some degree or other in these highly traumatic times that we're living through. Invisibly traumatic for some who are not aware of what's going on. And for some of us, we are aware, and that's even more traumatic. So whether you are aware of what's going on around us at the moment, which is possibly the biggest attack on humanity in the history of the planet and the history of our species, whether you're aware of that or not, everyone is feeling the trauma. Uh, you can even see it in the animals around us. I'm hearing from dog owners that more and more dogs who are highly sensitive to emotion are getting angry and traumatized. So I think it's really important to look at what works for us. And what really works for us is human connection. We're really not wired to be on our own. And although we can do lots of wonderful things like meditation, like yoga, we can do all sorts of things on our own. Um, what really matters for the human nervous system, and this has been borne out by tons of research, what really matters is our nervous system state. What, what is the state of our nervous system? You know, are we agitated? Are we in a what we call fight or flight? Or are we kind of going catatonic and shut down and depressed and inward? Or are we living in that middle space, a really important area where it's called our window of tolerance. It's the place where we have our resilience. And, you know, it's also the place where the nervous system operates with other human beings. So Stephen Porges is a famous neuroscientist, and he called it the social engagement system. That's how important we are to each other. It's right there in the science now. And our nervous system regulates and soothes itself by being in that space where we can be with others socially engaged. And wasn't it interesting that right at the heart of this incredible philosophy or anthroposophy, 
uh, was this sense of the interconnectedness of all, right at the heart of this almost ancient and primordial approach to living that we used to all have once, of this sense of we are within a matrix, a beautiful matrix of wisdom and love and growth and development. Within that came people working together in community. And if you want to follow up this idea of connections, I'd just like to shout out to a a tremendous writer called Johan Harry, H-A-R-I is his surname, Johan, Johan Harry. And he wrote a remarkable book called Lost Connections. He's written several others as well, but I particularly like Lost Connections because this is about one man's journey as he goes through being depressed as a teenager, being anxious and depressed and going through college and university and his journey through pharmaceutical idiocy, as if, you know, a substance can change someone that is missing something in his life. He travels all around the world. He describes his meetings and his discussion. He's a very earnest young man trying to find out what works. And, you know, where he comes to is that He actually comes to a very traditional position, a position held by radical psychiatry, actually, um, that is the tradition that says, when we're not feeling okay, it's not just us. It's not just our own problem. We are part of a bigger picture. And of course, radical psychiatry and lost connections, he doesn't refer to radical psychiatry. He kind of has to reinvent the wheel on that one a bit, but he does that in his own brilliant way. And, you know, he returns to something that most psychological professionals are aware of called radical psychiatry. And radical psychiatry says you cannot just blame the individual for society's insanities. And that is so true right now. I mean, I'm promoting a new definition in the psychiatric diagnosis manual that everyone uses all around the world. And I'm, I'm promoting a new psychiatric mental health condition called GIT. G-I-T, which is a very English name, I know, but it's quite a funny one as well. But suffering, are you suffering from the GIT? Uh, And the GIT stands for, G stands for government, the I stands for induced, and the T stands for trauma. Government-induced trauma. And most people working in government bodies or registration bodies or NGOs should be hanging their heads in shame at what they've done to increase the trauma of people all around all around society so we're probably all suffering from the git and you know the way out of that is to connect with good people doing good things and to stay away from those people in those positions they're really not good for your health in my very humble and slightly outspoken opinion So Johan Harry, Lost Connections, great book to read. And it really does say what he found was that people who come together, often around social justice, around local issues, around housing, around health, people that actually care, be around people that actually care about someone more than just themselves, you know, people that actually are interested in looking after others. Those are the people to look for. Those are the people who are good for your soul and to be involved in doing things with each other, be active with each other. You know, don't retreat into your little cocoon world. Get out there and be with the people who are trying to make society and communities more human, more caring, and um, not the direction it's going along right now is what I'm saying. But I wonder if in Sue's beautiful uh, session that we had, I wonder if you heard the profound 
spirituality in what she was describing. Yeah, she didn't, you know, bash the Bible at us and she didn't, you know, tell us what we should or shouldn't believe. But I wonder if, like me, you sensed an immense spirituality in her philosophy or actually her anthroposophy. And I wonder how much of that spirituality you resonated with or whether you just didn't hear it at all, which could be interesting for you as well. Um, I certainly heard a profound, unifying, integrational sense of each human being living within a beautiful, living, pulsating universe. Um, And isn't it interesting that all, every single one of the government-funded organizations all seem to subscribe to the new religion, well, it lasts a couple of hundred years, I would say, but the new religion, I call it the religion of materialism. You know, uh, uh, the other word I use for it is scientism, which reduces all our experiences to the smallest bits of us that you can't see, can't even see them, you know, the molecules, you know, the bits and pieces, the stuff, the matter, the physical matter, as if that's all we are. And certainly some of us are not all that interested in reducing human experience to some tiny molecules that you can't even see and then studying and analyzing and researching them as if they're the really important bit. Well, some of us just aren't interested in stuff. And some of us are certainly not interested in that particular government funded propaganda machine. (laughs) Just follow the money if you want to find out who's influencing that bunch. And the money is coming from the government. And the government also is highly suspect in so many things that we're discovering today. What a shock for many of us brought up to trust the government. And here they are. We've been betrayed on every level, in my slightly outspoken and rather humble opinion. But whatever you think, um, I can have my opinion, but whatever you think, many of us are interested in a much bigger picture. And this came home to me, you know, when I was started my career as a therapist, I actually started in the world of massage and bodywork. And at the end of every session, I wanted the client to define what benefits they got. I didn't want to tell them. I mean, I know a lot of successful body workers have really got very busy practices. They continue telling their clients how good they feel and what they've got from it. And I I was never that good a car salesman. I just used to say at the end, once they were dressed and everything, I said, just walk around the room, walk around the table and tell me what you're noticing about yourself, especially if anything feels different to when you arrived. That was really my interest. And I've always learned more from my clients than any training course or any textbook. I've never, never really got into too much reading of stuff, although I love to read, actually. But I never learned from what works in therapy. I just watched and learned from my clients. And they would walk around. And, you know, for 25 years, I've been doing this. And over the years, it slowly dawned on me, because I'm not a quick learner, um, it slowly dawned on me that all the clients were talking about themselves, because they were walking and talking about what they were noticing in themselves. And I realized that there was one particular language that was coming up, well, five languages, actually. People were speaking in five different ways about their experiences of being human. And what were those five ways? Well, some people talked about the physical. I kind of expected that. But many people talked about their energy. 
how their energy is. Is it low? Is it up? Is it down? What sort of energy are they walking in? How do they feel them, their energy? And then some of them would also talk about their emotional state. And others would talk about their psychological or attitude state, how they're thinking of the world at this particular moment. And others would talk about their spiritual state. They might not use the words we associate with religion, but they are talking about the spiritual state. They're talking about their place in the world, how they fit in, their meaning, their purpose. We've been talking about meaning and purpose quite a lot, and I would suggest that's a profoundly spiritual concept. What's our existential purpose here? Uh, To me, that's an actual spiritual question. So I summarize these in my book as PEMS, P-E-E-M-S, P for physical, E for energy. I always draw it like an energy sign. E for emotional, M for mental, S for spiritual. And I think that's a far better picture of what we are than what these kind of um, scientists are trying to say. This religion of scientism that suggests that we're molecules. I actually know that there have been several books written. Another great book you might want to read about the power of our emotions and our mind on these physical bits that we can't even see, called molecules. A book by Candace Pett called Molecules of Emotion. (laughs) And it's all there. She's actually found the scientific research that says, you know what, these molecules are really affected by how we feel. There's research on it. So why we're pumping people full of pharmaceutical substances when actually, do you know what? If you help someone to feel better, they do that all inside themselves. We've got a chemical factory inside our body. We can produce practically anything inside the human body. It's almost as if we're a miracle. It's almost as if we're made by a divine power or we are even part of some great divine story. That's a bit more exciting than coming from bits of molecules or evolving from some shrew or monkey. You know, well, actually, I think that's an insult to monkeys, actually, and possibly to shrews. You know, but the idea, yeah, well, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> I've got a lot of questions these days about what we've been told, I believe, a lot less than I used to. So what can you do with this? Well, what's a good practical tool for your day-to-day management of your stress and your trauma? Well, number one, Please understand that trauma can never be resolved alone. It needs communities, it needs gardening groups, it needs choirs, and sometimes it needs people like me to talk to so that you're with another human being who's actually made the study of trauma and its release uh, a part of our life. There are many, many dedicated human beings, you're living probably within a mile of you, who are dedicated to healing therapies of some kind or another. And sometimes we really do need to speak to another person. Yes, there's a great deal we can do, but how do we know when we need to reach out, especially to someone who's been trained in the psychology, in the nervous system, in healing? How do we know when it's time to reach out? Well, that's quite simple. Uh, whatever else you're doing isn't solving the problem. (laughs) You keep finding yourself in the same place over and over, then you're going to need someone to help you get over that hurdle. There's no shame in that. As we grow up in life, 
as we develop as children, we develop certain beliefs. And one of the most common beliefs we develop is that we've got to sort our shit out all alone. And um, that's actually not true. That's an anti-human belief. And humans need each other. And to take responsibility for your own state or your own issues or your own problems is actually a profoundly um, human and awesome step to make for ourselves. So you know, just blame everyone else for it is not really a very spiritual place. It's not very true either. Yes, we are influenced by what's around us. But at the end of the day, it comes down to each of us how we solve that. And sometimes what we're dealing with is so overwhelming that we actually need another person to kind of hold that trauma with us. To, so we're not alone anymore. And it's incredible. You know, all the research on therapy says that it's actually, it's not the approach, it's actually the safety and the relationship that really, really matters. The research is undeniable on that. What I'm trying to suggest here, what I am suggesting here, is that you are absolutely human and normal to need to reach out to another individual. Now, I'm not just touting my particular approach or my particular work here. I'm actually saying, you know, somewhere near you, there's going to be someone who's dedicated their life to understanding how to manage and help people manage trauma, distress. And it's perfectly, perfectly human to need the help of another person. Because as we grow up, we develop these beliefs and we we're blindsided by them. We're literally blindsided by our childhood beliefs. And it sometimes takes another person who's not got our background to say, you know what, it's kind of interesting. You keep talking about this thing. And it doesn't seem, I'm wondering if that's actually very true. Is that a belief that you now, as a grown-up person, subscribe to? And very often our work is involved in identifying the beliefs that harm us and helping us to take on new beliefs, to choose a different story for our lives. And that's really exciting. Well, I think so anyway. I guess I would think that, wouldn't I? Because I've devoted my whole life to helping people with this sort of stuff. So reaching out is normal. That's that's my real message. And, and it's good to reach out as well as do all the things that we do on our own. That's great. But in these days, what's a very simple tool? Well, you know, just think of that word PEAMS. And one student of mine came up with a brilliant idea. It wasn't mine, unfortunately. I'd love to say it was. It wasn't my idea. When I'd been talking about, well, PEAMS and the five levels that Ordinary humans have taught me. I never read this in a book. I never got it from some religious text. I just watched people and listened to them walking around the table and noticed they spoke in five different languages. Some would speak only in one of these five. Some would speak in a lot of these five. The physical for P, the E energy, the E for emotion, the M for mental, and the S for spiritual. Now, if you just write a, do a grid, and you you write down PEMS, you know, P at the top, E, E, M, S, down on the left-hand side of a page, and you run across and make a grid, and you you have like a matrix, and then you have you have a date for each of the columns going vertical. So you write down these five PEMS, and then you put down a column, and you just mark yourself out of 10. How am I doing physically? Okay, you know, I've got aches and pains, struggling. Or maybe I'm just feeling great. You know, give that a 10. How am I doing energetically? Ah, you know, I'm a bit smashed. I'm a bit kind of 
overloaded. I feel heavy. So maybe give yourself a three or four for that, if that's how you're feeling. But if you're feeling like, yeah, I got boodles, I mean, bundles and oodles. (laughs) I've just made up a new word, boodles. Um, (laughs) Boodles of energy. Then you just got that a 10. You know, that's great. Um, And then check out your emotional state. Maybe you're feeling a bit sad or angry. Um, Maybe you're feeling, you know, in which case, you know, if you're feeling a bit bit untogether or angry or or just lonely you know score yourself a low score there give yourself a two for that you know but if you're if you're feeling like uh really emotionally content and you're uh, i need to come up with a new word for that don't i but you know where you're happy <laughs> it's called happy joy bliss peace uh whatever that emotion is for you then score yourself high if you're feeling good you know a simple way to think of that emotional thing is mad, sad, bad, or glad. You know, just just put that down over what are you feeling? And um, yeah, put that score down. That's the emotional one. Then the mental one, attitude, mind. Give yourself a score for that. Are you feeling positive? Are you feeling like life's going the way you want it to? You've got good positive beliefs about people, about stuff. Or are you struggling with that? Are you are you in a depressed state? Are you thinking that you know everything's going to hell and back again? You know, where where is your mental level of positivity? And you might be down at the four or the three. You know, you might be having a bad moment or even a bad day. Um, but you might also be just thinking the world's a great place and that you know everything can work well. That's your mental positivity state. So score yourself a ten if you're up the top there. And then there's the spiritual state, which is, you know, where am I spiritually? I don't mean, you know, go to church necessarily, although I think that's a community that's worth joining. If it's a safe community, if it's a good community, there are some pretty toxic religious communities as well. Let's be honest about that. Where are you with your sense of purpose and your connection with something bigger than yourself, uh, uh, being a part of a story, as opposed to always being the center of the story? I actually find that quite a relief to let go of my story and become part of a bigger story. However you put that, and it's hard to describe words, there's a lot of baggage around spirituality, isn't there? You probably know what I mean for you. Uh, find your Where's your sense of something far greater than us that we are actually privileged to be able to connect with? Humans can connect with something greater than us, um, and that distinguishes us from what I would call non-human or non-human tendencies. So use these PEMS to make a kind of reality check for yourself. In a previous broadcast, I talked about checking out reality. I call it the core principle, C-O-R, core. Check out reality with others, but also check out reality with yourself. And it seems quite good on Reality Check Radio to be promoting a very simple tool that I've taught and many of my clients have used to use these five definitions you know there might be more there might be others but they've worked for me for 40 years now body work and um seeing that people you know where am i physically energetically emotionally mentally spiritual score yourself and then the really important bit don't forget this bit adjust your day adjust your plans you know if you're physically not feeling good then you know go and get yourself some physical treatment you know um if you're maybe you're just physically exhausted and you need to take rest you know if your energy is buzzing you know that's something you can 
enjoy. But if your energy is really heavy and sluggish, think of what you could do about that. What could you do? Maybe it's time to go out for a walk in nature or the bracing fresh air. Um, if you want to lift and pump your energy up, you know, check out the whole cold immersion thing and jump in a cold lake like I do. If you ever come to Wanaka, you know, come down to Lake Wanaka in the middle of the day. Right about the middle of the day, you'll see this crazy psychotherapist fella just immersing for three minutes. Don't do it for too long, but, you know, just go in there and breathe. And, wow, the, the buzz in your energy is tremendous. It's better than even coffee, which uh, is another of my favorite tools for that. Um <laughs> I know a lot of health people will be horrified at that, but that's how it is for me. Um, you know, where are you emotionally? Maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe you need to plan to, you know, take your loved one out for a meal and really have some quality time with them. Maybe it's time to contact your family or good friends, you know, um, get that emotional need of, of ours to be to be in love. And love is more than just a beloved partner. And and often that's you know, that's a challenge in itself sometimes. So find out what your love challenge is and, and just take one step towards that. That's great to do. Adjust your day, make a plan, you know. And if you're, you know, struggling mentally, if you've got a low score mentally, maybe it's time to hook up with some other people in your community or, or take on a new learn a new challenging skill like anthroposophy. <laughs> that would be a good one. And then, of course, you know, there's um, the spiritual. You know, get thee to God, get thee to your spirit, get to who you really are. You really are spirit. I don't care what anyone says. You really, really are. And if anyone's taught you otherwise, they've misled you. Um, find out how to connect with your spiritual truth, your spiritual, your higher self, whatever language you use. It doesn't have to be the three-letter God word. I once met a priest who said that they always replace the word God uh, with, they reverse the letters to dog. It's uh, absolutely hilarious coming from a priest. But, you know, she said she'd been given such negative stories about God that she couldn't, the word jarred for her. So every time she was leading a service, you know, um, she thought of dog instead of God. I think that's absolutely a wonderful story. So, yeah, that's that's a little tool. You know, just adjust your day. Take yourself seriously. Attend to yourself. Um, we're, I believe we're living in the time of biggest change in the history of the human species. I think I said that earlier, didn't I? <laughs> Um, and so change is actually traumatic and clock that, you know, um, and attend to your needs. Your needs are probably greater right now than they've ever been. Um, and if you ignore those needs, you're going to head down a very dangerous pathway of sickness and illness and anger and rage. But if you find a way to tune into what you truly need, uh, listen to your body, listen to the wisdom that is in you. Uh, we were never placed here as humans without the tools to to access within ourselves to find peace, to find harmony, and to bring it all the way back to Sue, you know, to find our interconnectedness with the whole of creation. To get the full experience of The Real People Show, listen live on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Or to the live stream rewind editions each week on Tuesdays at 10 p.m. and Saturday at 11 a.m. And if that's not possible, we know you'll still love this chat with Jerry and his guest. And a reminder you can check out the show notes for more information about the music played by checking your app or visiting www.realitycheck.radio forward slash Jerry. That's www.realitycheck.radio forward slash Jerry. G E 
RRY. So let's have a look to see what we've got in the mailbag this week. Um, so we've got a message from Sarah. Uh, hi, Jerry. Thank you very much for such a great show that you're bringing to the airwaves. I loved last week and today's with Craig. It's interesting how listening to guests talk about what seems like a very stressful subject, i.e. trauma, can in fact be so uplifting. Yeah, what a good point, Sarah. Sometimes we just need to know that we're not the only ones who are having a bad day, eh? <laughs> Another message um, uh, from Beth. Uh, yes, Jerry, finding the message in the mess. Finding the message in the mess. What a lovely way to put it. That video with the Scottish granny gave me a great belly laugh. Another great show unfolding today. Yes, if you haven't seen the granny video laughing to the wonky donkey on YouTube, you just haven't lived. Um, message from Kay. Uh, not only father role models for men, but mother role models for women. Couldn't agree more, Kay. I hear the first referred to quite regularly, but not so often the latter. Thanks for the show. Last week's was some of the most touching and human media I've ever experienced. Wow. As well as you, Jerry, what amazing humans your guests are. Well, absolutely, Kay. I am blown away by real people. Not your showbiz personalities, not your media people, not your people out to do, got some hidden motive. So this is a reminder to everyone, if you know someone who's been an inspiration to you in your community, then please, please send me their email address and a reason why you would like me to send them an invite. And I will send them an email invite. Let's hear from real Kiwis, real people doing real things in real communities. Send that to inbox at realitycheck.radio. Inbox at realitycheck.radio. Next one coming up. Um, this is this is from Lisa or Lisa. I'm not quite sure how you say your name. It's spelled with a Y, so I'm thinking Lisa. Wow, you guys just keep knocking it out of the park. My hubby and I love to listen when we can. And yeah, this is a real, I just want to shout out to the whole production team in RCR. They are such a bunch of hardworking people trying to bring good stuff to you guys. So yeah, let's, I'm going to shout out to them as well. So thank you, everyone who's working on this stuff. I hope they don't cut that in production. <laughs> Jerry's new shoe is wonderful. Oh, no, I've read that wrong. Jerry's new show is wonderful. <laughs> Leanne last week was just wonderful. And then today with Craig from Wonky Donkey. Love his reflections and his music, both his own and his choices. And especially the story about his mum and the heater and his trauma as a five-year-old worrying about his mum leaving him and how that carried through and impacted his life. I especially appreciated how you remind us that feeling trauma or feeling our feelings is normal and it's something good that makes us human. If I was understanding you correctly, oh yes, absolutely, Lisa, you've understood me perfectly. And Craig too, I think he believes that as well. 
I wanted to wing this message off to you as I'm just jumping in the car, but I'm going to take you and Craig with me on my drive. Just great stuff. I can tell how much you put into this show, Jerry, and I'm sure there are many like me really appreciating having this time to reflect and ponder on the past and our emotions. Well, absolutely. I hope for all listeners, this will become a a weekly spot to just take a moment to reflect and just be inspired by what it means for us all to be human. Thanks for that mailbox. Keep them coming, folks. I can't I can't tell you how much I enjoy hearing from you and what a difference it makes to my day when you tell me how it does for you, what it means for you and what value it has for you. Keep them coming. You're listening to Real People with Jerry Pives right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. So welcome to Music with Meaning. We're now going to be talking to Sue Hoskin about her music with meaning. But just to get us in the mood, let's begin by listening to the wonderful and famous Doobie Brothers. Listen to the music. So welcome to the third segment of Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair with me, Jerry Pives. And in this segment, we are looking at music with meaning. What piece of music reminds you or has value for you or was significant to you at certain important times in your life? And just a reminder to those of you who'll be listening to this on the replay edition of Real People on RCR, for copyright reasons, we're not able to include all the music in the on-demand replays. So instead, you'll just be hearing a compilation of the conversation that Sue and I had on this journey that she makes through the music. And remember, you can also get the show notes with more information about the music played on this episode. And you can find these on the app or under the relevant show, or just go to realitycheck.radio forward slash Jerry. That's www.realitycheck.radio forward slash G-E-R-R-Y. And we've got Sue here, Sue Hoskin here, who's going to be sharing with us her music with meaning. So Sue, thanks for doing this with us. It's lovely to have another chat with you. Oh, look, thank you for inviting me. It's been a wonderful sort of biographical journey into my uh, soundtrack of my life. So yeah, it's been quite an emotional (laughs) journey, but I've enjoyed it. So Sue, tell us what it is that you're listening to at the moment that is really doing it for you in uplifting you or soothing you or whatever it is that you're using music for right now at this moment in time. Okay, well, as you know, I um, selected the Lost Words Blessing. Um, It's something that yeah, it does make me feel quite calm. It's almost like it's it's quite godlike to me. And uh, it's from a book about the, the loss of childhood, um, you know, the joy and the rich landscape and discovery and imagination that children seem to have lost in today's world. Um, and I, I kind of relate it back to my own childhood when with this sort of grief and loss of natural habitat you know the hedgerows disappeared and you know our village became a city and the fields and the woods became these kind of concrete (laughs) landscape Um, and I think that really affected me as a child and so yeah that sort of I just love the words and and the the musical instruments the harp in in there and it's just so um 
healing, I suppose. Yeah, I, lo- I just love the calmness of the music and it, it feels quite sad. And I've actually chosen it as one of my funeral songs because I've, uh, with the Death Cafe work that I do, we're looking at advanced care plans where you're actually planning for your own death and funeral and things like that. And um, a lot of these songs have come about from actually looking at that, at how that might look for me, you know, planning my own funeral. Um, which I think is a really important part of what we talk about at the Death Cafe, you know, is actually accepting that death is inevitable. Um, and then if we can embrace it, it makes it a whole lot easier to deal with the fact that, you know, when we're, <laughs> we're going to die. So, yeah, choosing things like, you know, how you would like um, your funeral to go or what you would like to wear, um, things like that. That planning side of death can actually have a, a really um, meaningful way of dealing with something that we're quite uncomfortable with. Wow. I mean, we didn't even mention your death cafe in our interview, did we? I don't think so. It was this is a real, a real revelation. So listeners might not know what a death cafe is. Could you explain a little bit about that, Sue? Because that does sound really amazing. Sure. Well, the Death Cafe is an international movement uh, started by a guy in England called John Underwood, who died fairly recently. But it's really um, a safe space for people to come and talk about anything to do with death, dying, bereavement. Um, It's not a grief or a counselling group. It's an open conversation that we hold once a month. Um, The idea of it being a cafe is that we go to different cafes uh, and the idea is that you drink coffee and eat cake because that's comforting when you're talking about something uncomfortable. And, of course, then you're supporting local cafes and moving around to different places and sort of just having uh, nice spaces to be in a yeah a safe environment. Um, we started, Liz Malushneg and I started up the Death Cafe three years ago and it's just exploded Um so people, you know, to start with, were feeling a bit, you know, that's a strange thing. Why would you want to talk about that? But as you come and and talk about the death, it actually becomes quite an uplifting conversation. And um, and from that, we've actually grown a service that for the community called Final Acts of Kindness, which is um, advocating and guiding f- families and friends to keep their loved one at home for home death care and natural burials and, you know, much more sustainable ways of leaving this earth because, you know, we spend our whole life trying to keep water clean and keep nature healthy. And then the last thing we do in our lives is usually put something toxic into the earth or into the atmosphere with our embalmed bodies and our (laughs) toxic coffins and things. So um, really it's, yeah, opening up that conversation and the Death Cafe has been a great stage for that, that discussion. I mean, this is just so amazing what you're describing. It's taken my breath away. I'm just thinking, well, if people are listening to this, how do they how do they connect with the, the, anyone doing something similar in their area of New Zealand and and whatever? Because you're not the only one, I'm presuming. No, absolutely. Um, there's a new. Well, it's not a new term, but it's it's quite new to people's vocabulary at the moment. Uh, death doula, and a doula is um, like an end of life midwife. Um, and they're all over the country. There's lots of death cafes as well in most cities. 
I'm completely behind this idea of talking about death and having an opportunity to embrace the one inevitable reality of our life is that we know we're going to die. So I'm, I think this is wonderful. Is there a website or anything people could just start this or do they just Google it? I guess just Google. I mean, we have our own Facebook page for the Wanaka Death Cafe, which I manage, um, and anyone's welcome to join that. And I post lots of different um, articles about death and dying and um, different forms of body disposal. Um, for me, when I came into the Death Cafe uh, with my biodynamic work, you know, and my care for the earth, um, that was a really big part of, you know, the sort of interest for me was, you know, how we dispose of our bodies at the end of our lives. And so, you know, there is such a thing as organic reduction, which is composting the bodies. It's not actually available in New Zealand yet. But, um, you know, so articles like that that are of interest um, and not too scary are on our Facebook page. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking if there's any listeners still left, listening <laughs> after we raise the subject of our death and a big shout out to anyone with the the courage and the the chutzpah to hang in there when we're talking about such a taboo subject really isn't it it is a, it is almost become a taboo and you can just imagine can't you someone if you had a bit of investment from someone you said well i'll actually open up a cafe and i'll call it the death cafe you, you can imagine can't you how everyone would avoid that cafe like the plague <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a certain amount of intrigue and, um, you know, it's interesting because it's the one thing that we're all guaranteed in life and yet it's the thing that we avoid like the plague. We just don't talk about it. We plan for births and weddings and birthdays and travel, but we just don't plan for the end of our life or even want to think about it. And so that's why I think it's quite scary. And, uh, you know, I don't want to come across as the grim reaper, but we can actually, you know, shift our way of thinking into a more positive uh, positive death uh, sort of well I wish I wish the listeners could dispel any image of you as a grim reaper because I'm looking at you and I'm seeing <laughs> a gorgeous beautiful smiling face full of radiance and, and joy in life so I just want to remind everyone that this is not the grim reaper I'm interviewing here this is Sue <laughs> Luskin who is leading uh, wonderful services for the local community around the one inevitable fact so that tells us quite a lot about the lost words. But when it comes to uh, this issue of death, and we dive right in at the deep end, haven't we? Um, what piece of music, uh, in addition to that, would you listen to that somehow speaks to you around this subject or around grief? Um, well, I love I love Nina Simone. She was one of the artists that I played on my radio show when I used to work, work on um, as a community radio show for Wanaka Beats. Back in the day, we had a music store here once uh, called Play It Again, and I worked at the music store and we had this studio at the back where we had our community radio show. And, um, yeah, I, I would quite often dedicate the whole show to Nina Simone because I just love, love her music. Her song, Turn, 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 it wasn't actually her song. It was Pete Seeger who, who wrote the piece. Um, but it was a beautiful melody, and I just love the way she brings that song, um, you know, in that kind of bluesy, gospel, beautiful way that her voice uh, is, is just amazing. And, um, and it's interesting that, you know, that particular song has come from the Old Testament. And um, it really, for me, it speaks of rhythms of nature and cycles of life and the ever-changing world that we live in and that sort of impermanence and 
but it also brings uh, an element of patience and hope and you know understanding that opposites are necessary in life to you know you have to understand sadness to um, appreciate joy and things like that so you know, and this sort of the words in the in the song, um, you know, a time to weep and a time to laugh, time to mourn and a time to dance. You know, it they all bring uh, connotations of our impermanence, and um, yeah, but it kind of embraces it and has, you know, this sort of ending. I swear it's not too late for a time for peace. So yeah, sorry, I'm feeling quite emotional because <laughs> it does bring up. Uh, lots of memories, actually, and yeah, it's quite a, you know, life songs, the life stages and transformations are, are quite powerful, and the past is as important as the future in that respect. So, yeah, it's one of my favourite songs of Nina Simone. So I love that track. When you say it's affecting you, what what do you think it's connecting with in you or your own life or for you personally? Is there is there a personal connection for you around this? Um, I think the hope for change in the world is pretty strong. Go on. Um, yeah, the time to build up and the time to break down also sort of implies that death. And I think, you know, my age has is taking me into the stage of understanding, you know, death as a as a maybe a new beginning. So that that can be quite uplifting. But we have to you know, sort of understand it before we can move into it in a in a more positive sense. And I, I guess that's why we avoid <laughs> talking about death. But and you know, I don't feel as that I'm particularly afraid of of dying. But um, you know, I see things around me dying, um, and that's quite affecting me. I think you know that whole connection and um, yeah, the big divide really um, was another big loss for our life and um at this time and yeah I feel like I've lost I lost hope actually in humankind uh, for a bit there um but I've you know I'm working through that I'm actually you know moving into a a more positive stage of my life which is quite interesting that it's taken me on a, a different path that I wouldn't have expected you know sort of doing carol singing and going to church and just finding more social connections oh yeah well thank you so much sue sharing such a deep connection i mean by the great divide um i'm assuming you're talking about the absolute horror story of the last 3 years over here in new zealand is that what you mean by the great divide and how communities have been split and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's been quite a an enormous experience to have to live through, really, and it's shown some true colours of of humanity that I hadn't expected. Yeah, and I think it's ongoing. Actually, you know, I think there's there's some scars that are going to take years to heal, and and just yeah, having faith um, in humanity is you know if you can't if you can't trust so many um, people that you should be able to trust, then where do you, you know, put your your faith? What do you think about the very natural human tendency to just get on with life as if nothing ever happened? What's your thoughts on that? Because I'm seeing that in a lot of people around me, and I'm wondering if you're seeing that, and, and if so, what are you thinking about that? Mm. Well, I love sheep, um, but <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I'm... I'm 
I'm flabbergasted, to be honest, that so many people have taken the stance of just get on with it, just, you know, move on, let's forget. It's like, and, and the same with war, really. I mean, it's like, you know, what is this lest we forget? And yet here we are doing it again, you know, there's these major wars still continuing. It feels to me like we're not actually evolving into the, the spiritual people that we need to to sort of raise us from all of that and whether people will come round because we need strength in numbers. But it's also been, you know, lovely to find that strength within our own community of, or network of people that came about from that sort of divide. Thank you. Yes, I, I just think that what you're talking about is so very important in terms of hope and the loss of hope. And I, I'm sure, you, you know, I know for a fact that you're not the only one who has seriously questioned and lost hope during these times. And to refer to people uh, as sheep is a real insult to sheep, isn't it, really? Because they are really beautiful creatures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, it seems that we are we're struggling with the overwhelming horror. You can understand, can't you, why people want to dig their head in the sand and just try and pretend. It's almost like putting your hands over your ears and going, and closing your eyes and not wanting to know what's going on. And I, I get it. I totally get it. But I also get even beyond that, Sue, which is why I love talking with you and people like you, is the amount of courage and resilience it takes just to look squarely in the eye of the evil and the horror of the attack that's been made upon humanity right now and the whole of creation, not just humans, but upon the earth, upon the air. And many people who are listening to this are probably unaware, I think, of their incredible strength to even be able to look reality in the eye. And I'm just wondering what it is that what helped you rediscover hope? What worked for you? Because I'd love for people to hear Sue's <laughs> solution. Well, finding a, a, a different set of friends, really, and a new community was a huge help. Um, you were a big part of that, Jerry. So there's so much gratitude to you because I know all the work that you put into bringing that that sort of community together. Um, but, yeah, just going out and finding what does make you happy and which is singing Christmas carols, you know, so I've joined a group for that um, and offering service back to community. You know, I think culture is the soil we grow in and, you know, that's community is our culture here that we need to strengthen. And so, yeah, offering a service to the community that there's a gap that exists. Um, deaths are increasing and they're always going to be happening. Um, and if I can offer something that's, I don't know, a little bit more alternative um, and helpful to the world at this stage in my life, then, you know, that makes me feel like I'm giving back. So, yeah, that's that's really helpful for me. I'm really interested in how, for you, hope lies actually within humans, within the very essence of humanity, with communities, with singing together, with, I suspect, planting and looking after the earth together as well, which you talked about in your interview, um, but also essentially giving back and giving to other humans, giving and helping others. And the nature of our fundamental humanity is that if we give, 
I believe we release something in us. It's like our spirit can soar when we can give. And this idea that it should be, oh, what can I get? What's my next real estate deal? What's my next possession? What's my next piece of tat that I think is somehow going to make my life better? And right around the corner from where I live are people that I could find absolute joy in helping if only I hadn't grown up in this demonic culture where it's all about what we can get and what we can take. And yet the act of giving is somehow, I find, the greatest richness available. Well, yeah, and I think I think finding um, a spiritual faith is also really important because um, I've been listening to a few podcasts of Jordan Peterson and he's done some great work around, you know, if, if we live in a godless society, then we become the gods and, you know, we're fighting against each other is not how we should be working in this world. You know, there needs to be something, be it Gaia or Mother Nature or, you know, some spirit that we can look up to and, and understand there's something more important than us and that we need to actually focus on that to become better within. I sense both in myself and in the people I'm talking to an absolute spiritual awakening going on right now that people are, in fact, they've had enough of tat and stuff. <laughs> stuff New Zealand is over. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like saying that. <laughs> yes, I'll say it again. Stuff New Zealand is over. I think I think he was waking up, and I think all around the world we're seeing people awakening to to what is bigger than us, and something that maybe we need to bend the knee and bow the head to that is bigger than us that we can serve and be a part of rather than be the the end of it's almost like i'm thinking about this in relation to death you know in order to traverse death in order to journey across death we have to in some way perceive that we are not everything that if it's all about me or us if we become the god then what a shit well that's going to be you know i mean really I, i'm some days i have very bad days and if I'm gone, that's not looking good for everybody else, right? <laughs> that's right. Least of all yourself. So, yeah, <laughs> I love the image. I think more than anything, I love the image of the Apostle John, who was the one. I'm going to get a bit emotional now, too, because he was he was described as the disciple whom Jesus loved and who loved Jesus, and he just laid his head upon Jesus's chest. And there's something so remarkable in that image for me of he didn't even do anything. He just knew that he was in the presence of unbelievable love. Mm, lovely. Yeah, something about that touches me deeply. So you got me going now. So now we're both, <laughs> now we're both getting all emotional. It's good oh. to cry. <laughs> How about we listen? We listen to uh, Nina Simone uh, doing her beautiful song "Turn, Turn, Turn." Great, I'd love to. So that was "Turn, Turn, Turn" by Nina Simone, and we're talking here with Sue Hoskin in Wanaka, talking about her life and what music has impacted her or had meaning for her in her life. So, Sue. What's your next track? Okay, well, I'd love to share um, Mud and Stardust. And it's by a girl named Mo. 
Um, her name is Moana Etea, um, and she's part of the um, Fly My Pretties collaboration, which is a bunch of musicians from Wellington that come together and play um, music concerts. Um, I've never actually made it to one, but this particular song um, was from 2016, and, and she's just visually stunning. And the, the lyrics are just exquisite. I just feel like, you know, we are made of mud and stardust. We are literally, we are nature. And um, I was convinced that this song was about teenage depression and suicide for some reason. But when I've gone to look it up, it's actually about death. <laughs> um, and so she's, you know, one of the lines in the song is, um, lucky is the moon that comes and goes. Um, but she relates it to, you know, the moon comes back every every night, but when we lose someone, that's they've gone, you know, that whole grief and, and loss of someone. Um, but, you know, our job or our role in the world is just to continue on and enjoy the fact that we are on this beautiful planet for however long. And so, yeah, I just love the tribal beat um, of the track and the the backing singers um, are also, you know, magical. So, yeah, I, th I just love the song and it, it just brings sort of deep, emotive feelings to me and and yet it brings some hope as well back to that really important word eh? back to hope mm. and how wonderful that we can be uh supporting and promoting a, a kiwi band and a group of kiwi musicians that's even better so this this is wonderful um yes let's listen to mud and stardust and that's by a girl named mo is that right that's right yeah Wonderful, wonderful. Let's listen to that then. Enjoy. So that was Mud and Stardust, a girl named Mo. Wow. Wow, what an amazing piece of music that was. Sue, what is it that, having heard it again, what is it that really inspires you about that? Just tell us a little bit about having heard it. I'm sure people would love to know what it is that, you know, you find most exciting about that piece. Yeah, I just love the layers of music as it builds up. And if you actually watch the video of her, she, as I say, she's just gorgeous and she's singing from her heart. You can see it in her eyes and, you know, the the eyes are the windows to the soul and she's just putting everything into that song. She's, um, yeah, just beautiful. She sounds like someone to watch, yeah? I think so, yeah. And obviously a, a Kiwi artist that we can support. Wonderful. Well, I hope everyone goes and, and clicks on her song and she gets lots of likes and stuff. Um, yeah, I suggest watching the video rather than listening to the song because it, it has a whole lot more heartfelt energy going on in it. All right. So go to the video, everyone. Mud and Stardust by a girl named Mo. Wonderful. Thank you, Sue. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to your third track uh, of music. What's the third track that you'd like us to hear, Sue? Well, a, a song from my childhood that I remember vividly, um, and I guess my mum and dad must have bought this vinyl album, and it was a piece of art in itself, but it was War of the Worlds. And um, I think it's timeless. You know, it just touches me, even if I hear it now. It's got this, you know, Richard Burton narrating it, and he brings the story to life. Um, and the music is just so um, sort of forbidding and hypnotizing and thrilling and frightening and um, all of these emotions that it brings out. And I think, you know, storytelling is so important in our lives. And 
um, this war of the worlds, which, you know, obviously seems to be wars always, but um, the wording that comes into the song, you know, that who would have thought that at the end of the 19th century, you know, that the world was being scrutinised. And then I think, well, we are, this is Google scrutinised, you know, the computers. Um, and, yeah, the sort of connections that have come up from listening to that song again, yeah, just brings up a real uh, memory of my childhood, I suppose, and being in my family home. Uh, and then I've never spoken to my parents about, you know, what, whether they listened to it much, but as children we did. And it was always just, yeah, quite this haunting sort of scariness, but also, again, some hope in there, you know, that people were um, in a crisis, that people come together. And from that same album, you know, there's another song that lots of people use for their funeral, <laughs> funny enough, which is the um, Forever Autumn. Um, that's a beautiful song. Yeah, I suppose that H.G. Wells is sort of the battle for humankind, really, that also resonates with me that all those years ago there was still, you know, this thing, same thing going on. At any one moment, you know, we could be in disaster, and we are. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't have to necessarily be the Martians coming down. It's just us with each other. <laughs> yeah, that invasion, I suppose, of the world just brings the connotations of what's happened in the last three years even. You know, this um, people have been attacked. As a psychotherapist, uh, Sue, when I said, mm, maybe you could find me a piece of music that reminds you of your childhood and you sent back to me, oh, War of the Worlds, I was a little bit worried. <laughs> 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 you were remembering other things that when you think of your childhood with this music is that right yeah yeah I think so but I mean I, I just love the music as well I think it's really powerful and you know uh, I mean I don't normally like musicals but that was one that you know and it had David Essex in it and all of these other things that were going on in my life you know as pop stars and things like that but yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, it reminds me of home, actually, because, as I say, it just arrived in our house one day and I just remember playing it with my twin brother and my sister and just all sitting there completely, you know, engrossed in it. And, you know, it's a bit like it was so much better than TV or it, just listening to this vinyl. And it was a double album with all this amazing artwork on it. So, yeah, it was just very creative. That sounds like a beautiful memory from your childhood. Mm. Sitting there with your twin brother, was it? And your your sister? Yeah. And listening to this piece of music. It sounds like when you hear it, it just captures. How old were you when, when you this memory? Um, I probably, oh, I can't remember what year it came out, but I'm thinking sort of nine or ten maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're going to listen to War of the Worlds, Eve of War. So that was War of the Worlds with the track Eve of the War. And these are the tracks which have meaning, music with meaning, with Sue Hoskin. And that was our third track, Sue. So let's move on to your fourth track. What delight have you got for us next? Well, when I'm feeling stressed or... Um, overwhelmed I always listen to Ava Maria by Ashana I just particularly like her version of the Ava Maria um, it just resonates I don't know if it's a frequency um, that's healing for me but I quite often listen to it while I'm doing my supermarket shop 
just to bring me back to myself rather than the madness that the new world brings. <laughs> and I don't mean the new world as in the church, but, um, and I suppose, you know, the fact that the Ave Maria is a, a, a prayer to the Virgin Mary, I just love that the feminine is being spoken to there, that sort of devotion and prayer to Mary. And yeah, it's just such a moving piece of music, whoever sings or plays it, but I just particularly love the one um, that Ashana plays probably because of the crystal bowls and things like that, the the resounding vibrations, yeah, really brings me into a oneness, I think. And sort of in the biblical terms, you know, it's praying for us sinners um, now and at the end of our life towards our death. So, again, it brings in that sort of beautiful incoming and outgoing um, arrival and departure sort of feeling of life and death and the balance in between. Well, Sue, you're taking me into a meditational space right now as we talk. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So we're now going to listen to Ave Maria or Ave Maria by Ashana. Thanks for tuning in to Real People with Jerry Pives. Do you have a guest suggestion for Jerry? If you know someone who has an interesting life story, maybe that someone is you, then please get in touch. Jerry would love to get your feedback, so please send us a text on 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio to let us know your thoughts about his show. That's your message to 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio. Normal texting charges apply. So that was... Ave Maria by Ashana. Um, and you're listening to Sue Hoskin picking her music with meaning. So, Sue, I think that was our fourth track. Um, let's move on to our fifth track. What track are you going to choose for us now? Um, I'm going to choose Teardrop by Massive Attack. It was released in 1998, and I was 32 at that time and I feel like it sort of music sculpts a, a biography and that was a time in my life where I was having a bit of a midlife crisis <laughs> um, and the music um, I'd sort of seen this band play at different music festivals and I was just always sort of mesmerized by the the way they bought music and varied it but this particular track um, you know it's sort of electronica trip hop flavors uh was you know quite uplifting but also a little bit melancholic and um the video that went with the particular track was of of an embryo in this sort of universe and you know that whole well we've all been we've all been there um and it was kind of frightening because you're you don't know what's coming next and you're on your own and you know you're in this watery environment and then suddenly you're in this environment of air and it's kind of like this these opposites these polar opposites and the kind of fear but then hopefully there's always that love when you come through into a different environment and I'm sure that's what it will be like with death you know that you it's the only thing that you you have to do completely on your own you don't really know what you're going into but there will be love and peace there and you know that sort of gives me hope um, and less fear of death. I also think that it sort of moves on from, you know, the Immaculate Conception with Mary, you know, this whole embryonic thing. Um, that's where everything begins. It's new beginnings and uh, f fresh start. So I just love the track. Um, yeah, that time of my life where I was sort of stumbling through the darkness. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that trauma affects our memory. So I haven't listened to the song for a long time, but when I was sort of, you know, prompted to think about a song from my adulthood, that's what came to mind. And, and now I have listened to it again, and I just love it. And it is timeless, actually. So, Sue, you talked of a very tough time. I wonder if you could share a little bit about what that darkness was that you were stumbling through. Yeah, I think it was um, disconnect again. It was disconnect from family and needing to find my own way, which meant ending a relationship. And I took myself off and went traveling um, on my own and ended something that I wasn't sure whether it was the right thing to do, but, you know, turns out it was. But it was quite painful um, and, yeah, sort of extracting myself out of something that was, yeah, not comfortable really, uh, the lifestyle that I was living and, yeah, just the England um, is a bitch basically. It was feeling like that was not the place that I needed to be in. So I, and I did take myself off and I took a year out and travelled and, you know, that was my destination because here I am. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, until you leave that place of pain, you don't know that there's actually joy out there. So, um, you know, depression is sort of that dip where water is contained. Um, but it's also where animals come to drink. So, you know, there's positives with depression as well. And um, in England, particularly at that time, it really wasn't even acknowledged but you know if you went to your doctor and said oh, I, I just don't understand how I'm feeling and this isn't right they were oh go and have a hot bath take a couple of days off work yeah <laughs> you know it wasn't even really acknowledged that depression was a thing and I so I kind of struggled with that my family as well didn't think that you know that was that important what I was going through and so I felt quite lonely um but yeah, I think that depression teaches us lots. So it's it's not such a bad thing. It's something that we come through and you know come through as a, a better person for it, maybe, and live a fuller life from understanding the that state of being that you, you've been in. Yeah, and it's, it's again it's polar opposites, and then finding a balance in between. You we have to understand bad to know good. So, yeah, interesting time of my life, but it, it took me into, you know, an amazing adventure and something that I would always aspire to and, and tell people to do in their life if they can is to travel and get out of your bubble. What is the most emerging theme of all of these interviews that I'm doing is the way in which the things that we least want to have, like depression or trauma or pain, these things are actually windows and opportunities for growth, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Absolutely. Yeah. And without them, you know, where would we be, really? It, we would just be following the norm and just, bah. <laughs> sheep. Back to the sheep. <laughs> Poor sheep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love the way you talk about yourself and also about emotions and what we could rather coldly called mental health, which doesn't e even get close to what we're talking about. But when you talk about depression as a ditch in which the, like, the earth is depressed and the water gathers there, and that wonderful image, Sue, of in that water, well, the animals come and drink. So life, new life can begin. They can come and drink and they're resuscitated and they go back out and they do stuff in the world. You know, they 
the the gazelle will leap and the the bunny will do what bunnies do. I'm not allowed to say it over the radio, but you know, all that, <laughs> all that kind of life life emerges out of out of the down, the drop down. But unless we allow ourselves to sink and gather water, uh, we can't refresh. And I wonder if there's one of the images that is also a natural one that I sometimes hear is, you know, the well, you can tell more about this than I can. I, I, like, I don't even know what a carrot tree looks like. But what I'm trying to say is something about the kernel having to crack open for the oak tree to grow. You know, that some we have to break apart sometimes in order to flourish into who we truly are. I don't know whether you've come across any good images from nature like that or anything good around yeah. that. Well, the acorn is, is a lovely um, image, isn't it? Um, but pretty much everything in nature starts off as, you know, something else. A seed basically turns into, you know, a plant that we then eat and everything's cyclic, you know, and everything's going back in and out of the world in such a beautiful way, really. But um, if we can just follow that cycle and rhythm, then, you know, everything will be <laughs> calm. <laughs> I think people might be really surprised to know the statistics, and I will get them, for the number of people that do have breakdowns. You know, we all need to break down in order to become reborn. We have to break down and rebirth uh, is the natural shape of things, isn't it? And I think that's something which, you know, we fear breakdown, we fear depression, we fear all this painful stuff. But actually, people like me who work in that area all the time, every day, or most days anyway, we actually find real meaning and joy, not in the suffering of others. That would be really malicious. We find joy in the release that a safe space with a safe person can offer to people, where they can literally bring their pain and, and their darkness or their depression and see that it's not the end. It's not it's nothing to be really frightened of. There's always a reason for depression, I find. There's always a reason for a breakdown. There's something emerging in people. And to be with people at times like that is such a privilege, actually, in my work. And I imagine it's a little bit the same with your, well, with all your work, actually. So you do so much. And, and thank goodness you had your breakdown. I'm, I want to celebrate your breakdown um, <laughs> because look at what you're doing now. I mean, that is just amazing. And I don't believe you'd be doing what you're doing now if you hadn't gone through such time. And if there's anyone from Britain listening, you know, I just want to remind you what she said about it. She said, England is a bitch. I just want to... <laughs> 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 Why do you think we all came over here, or, or not we all, but some of us came over here, and even the Maori had to leave the Pacific Islands to get here, and I don't know what was going on there too much, but I imagine that, that, that similar sentiments that uh, Kiwi people, all of us who are here now, wherever we've come from, whatever our cultural traditions, you know, there's going to be a history of getting away from bad stuff here for every single Kiwi on this planet. I think that's why I'm here. I think that's why I love being here. Um, I love Kiwis. I love what people bring here from their different cultures and backgrounds. I think it's an amazing place, not just the beauty of the land, but the beauty of the people with their stories. There's more stories in New Zealand, I believe, than anywhere else that I've come across. More stories of traveling, of cultural change, of, of overcoming adversity. What a tremendous country to live in. Um, and yes, I couldn't agree more that England is a bitch. I mean that lightheartedly, actually. I just kind of pulling the leg of the all-powerful English empire. Um, so let's hear Teardrop by Massive Attack. 
So that was Teardrop by Massive Attack. And you're listening to real people in the psychotherapist chair. And we've got Sue Hoskin walking us through music with meaning, those tracks of music that hold special meaning for us that take us right back to certain atmospheres, smells, places, but also music that helps us get through the challenges of each day. We were talking, well, you were talking about breakdown. Um, I think you used the phrase stumbling through the darkness. And we were then talking about how we need breakdown sometimes to release into something new, new and better to emerge. The old has to break down. And I was just thinking while I was listening to that piece of music, I was thinking about how sometimes we have days that are really full of hope and meaning. And sometimes we have days that are a real struggle. And maybe this does help us segue into the next piece, because I'm wondering when you want to be lifted up, when you, when the day is hard and you're looking for a, a pick-me-up that isn't alcohol, that isn't drugs, that isn't gambling, that isn't all those dastardly destructive behaviours that we can easily get sucked into for short-term gain. If you're looking for something that lifts your spirit, where do you go? Can you give us a piece for that, Sue? Where do you go for hope and for lifting? Um, well, The Layer Project was an album that came out around 2004 and it was uh, in support of the countries that have had um, the coastal communities that had suffered from the tsunami and that's that was regions of Sri Lanka and Thailand and Indonesia and Malaysia. So by purchasing the album, you know, you were kind of contributing somehow, you hoped. Um, and um, the piece is called A New Day and it, um, Pitch Black, another Kiwi musical artist who I love, plays the piece. And uh, the title has so much sort of light and hope in it, a new day. You know, I just love that image, as I mentioned before, you know, the sun coming up and everything sort of opening up to a, a new day. And um, that sort of collective healing that we, I mean, when you, you feel so hopeless when things happen in the world, um, you can't actually really do anything and and so by listening to music or buying the music um you know I actually felt like I was doing something little um as it may have been but yeah the production's based on regional folk music and so you know the artists have gone around to all of these countries and and taken samples from all the different instruments these beautiful instruments that you don't normally hear um and just the strength and the collective tribute uh, that came from that resilience of human spirit through music um yeah ded dedicated to the survivors of of that tragedy um and so yeah as I mentioned earlier you know when sometimes it takes a crisis for everyone to pull together and be human and so i just oh yeah i really love this piece and i i actually um play it well, not most mornings, but some mornings um, I do a yoga sequence to it. I've created a yoga sequence that goes through all of the constellations, you know, Aries and Taurus. And so I move those parts of the body as I um, do my yoga. And again, it's this kind of tribal beat that uh, the music takes you on this journey. Um, it's very much to do with the breath and bringing me out of sadness and into happiness and light. So you are a truly beautiful soul. I get the privilege of seeing you. People are hearing you, but I'm seeing you. And I am 
moved so deeply by how much you feel things and how much you feel for suffering and the suffering of others and the pain of others. I, it touches me deeply, actually. And I, with you, I feel I'm in the presence of someone who does feel the pain in the world. Yeah, um, I am quite a sensitive soul. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, it's just proof that the music is so emotive and can take us on journeys. And I think, you know, being sensitive and sad even is okay. We need a balance of <laughs> powerful people and sensitive people. So, yeah, um, and to actually bring something in, into your life as a ritual, as a, as a piece of music that, you know, you, you work with on your own inner strength, I think is important. So, yeah, forces me into doing yoga, <laughs> which otherwise I would kind of maybe not do. Yeah, I'd love to see your constellation yoga moves to this music. That sounds absolutely amazing. Um, and what a title for the band as well. I'm thinking Pitch Black. Mm, yeah, the, the, well, they're New Zealand electronica. And, yeah, again, their, their music seems to be timeless as well. You don't often hear that much from them, but they, you know, remixed the music. So shout-outs to them. It's quite a long piece of music as well. I think it's actually 15 minutes, which is a good amount of stretching and movement for me in the morning would if you, I'm in the rough. Would you mind if we only played the first five minutes or so of it? Would we get enough of a feel from this? I think so, yeah. I think that yeah. that would be enough. Yeah, it does build up, it, so it has some crescendos at the end. But, yeah, it's definitely filled with hope, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, we might just play the whole thing. We'll see how this goes. Okay, so this is A New Day by Pitch Black. So that was A New Day by Pitch Black, another Kiwi group of musicians. So we've got a repetitive theme here, haven't we, Sue, of hope and finding hope. And I just want to say that, you know, in my work, I consider myself to have shortchanged anyone I work with if I can't help them find a new picture for themselves, a picture that reflects who they really are, rather than a picture of their life as based on their historical past. We need to look into the past, we need to feel the pain of it, and then we need to move on and let it go. And finding a vision or a picture of hope, of a future that has got something, that's a big part of my work. And I wonder what music you can bring us to a close of this wonderful session with you on music. What piece of music would you leave us with that gives you real hope for the future? It would have to be imagined by John Lennon. The words say it all, really. Um, maybe without religion and without war, you know, we'd all come together. But uh, just that spirit of imagine. And our imagination is, is enormous, isn't it? And, um, and powerful, you know, and if we focus on what we want, generally we, we can make things shift and understanding sort of the inner and outer of our own lives, weaving together through reflection of our music, the music that's touched us. Maybe that's, you know, the sort of focus that we can bring that spirit into play and, you know, who am I and what's my destiny? Maybe the music is a bigger part of that than, than we imagined. Um, yeah, I just think that our experiences and the way music sculpts those memories 
is really important and I'd recommend that anyone, you know, just sit down for a while and think about those musical tracks that have made up the soundtrack of your life because it's, yeah, it's a great exercise and I really appreciate that we've done this together. And so, yeah, John Lennon, beautiful, Imagine. So that was Imagine by John Lennon. So, Sue, that's a beautiful piece, a lovely, uplifting way for us to end this magical session of music with meaning. I want to say thank you for sharing your beautiful tracks, but even more importantly, thank you for sharing your life and your stories with us. It's been a real privilege to hear your story, and I'm sure that, like me, many listeners are going to be resonating on so many levels with what you've shared. So I want to say a really big thank you to you, Sue. Thank you, Jerry, for offering you know this time. It's it's been a pleasure and um, very emotional journey, but a lovely one as well. And um, yeah, hopefully it hasn't been too sad. I mean, to know that sadness is a you know a natural and healthy response to loss and sadness, and express what we hold in our hearts is is really important. And finding gifts amongst that bewilderment and pain, um, it can be strengthening and Hopefully we're all out there for each other to to hold each other in those times. And also just to remind any listeners that this isn't just about Wanaka. This is about the whole of New Zealand. And if there are people in your community who you feel have maybe been a blessing to you or your community, people that have kind of blessed your community with their service, their commitment, there's just something that they've done or they do. It doesn't have to be big. We're not looking for famous people here. I'm not interested actually in too many famous people. I'm interested in the unsung heroes, the people that just get on with it in their local communities, not because they're going to become famous and rich and wealthy and all that rubbish, because it's in them to do. It's it's they, That's just who they are. And we've just been speaking to Sue Hoskin in Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair. And what a pleasure and a privilege it has been. Sue Hoskin, thank you very much for your music with meaning. You've been listening to Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair with Jerry Pives. Tuesdays from 1pm on RCR, Reality Check Radio.